Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Mark Allen, Kevin Healy and uh, also Andy over there pressing the buttons today. Lynn Lynn Drummond not here. Not this um, week. She's not well. If she's listening at all, I hope she feels a lot better. She sounded quite unwell when I spoke to her yesterday. Mm, That's no good. So, uh, but she'll be back next week. You missed last week, Crook. Are you okay again? I am, yeah. Yeah, we're taking it in turns at the moment. You are, you are. And in fact... um, John McPherson, our regular guest on this first Wednesday of the month, is also crook, but he, we'll have him on the line later. But he, he's too—he last night I, again he didn't sound too well. He was in good form chatting about things, but, yes. uh, but and I'm sure we'll be in good form chatting about things later in the program. But we'll For talk sure. to John later about transport issues, of which there's many at the moment. Many, many, many. many. We many. could talk about it for hours. Hours. We've yeah. only got one, though. I know. Yeah. Because yeah. Joe gets upset if you get... You go he anywhere. does. Yeah. He does, yeah. He gets really upset. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, that's it. But speaking of such, uh, headline in the Herald Sun, load of hot air. I think that probably sums up lots of things, including this program. But um, I I thought it was another one of those wonderful Herald Sun beat-ups. This was in the Herald Sun last Friday. Labor helps bankroll Al Gore talk as Hazelwood shuts and jobs go. Taxpayers face a 150,000 bill to fund a resilience conference starring anti-coal campaigner Al Gore while hundreds of workers lose their jobs. And, you know, you can don't need need to read on. No. Um, But it was all about that. Um, and uh, the fact that he's coming at a conference, and in fact, the City of Melbourne, Melbourne Uni and the State Government are uh, putting up funding. He's he's actually paying his own airfare, apparently. Of course, the coal industry says, well, he's using lots of carbon, which is true, of course, to, mm. to fly here, but nonetheless. Um, and... Um, in fact, the bloke from the industry says, um, oh, this is the Institute of Public Affairs, one of our favourite groups, public, very private affairs. They say Australians don't like being lectured by well-off foreigners like Mr Gore on how to run our country, especially when the end result is higher power prices and workers losing their jobs. I reckon we also don't like being lectured by well-off Institute of Public Affairs uh, arch-conservatives, do we? Especially when the end result is the potential extinction of humankind. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. The, but that's a that's a collateral damage thing in relation to getting the job done. Well, that's right. Just a bit of collateral damage. I mean, it's a, a pity there isn't more emphasis on how um, workers in places like Halswood can be retrained and re-employed, and how we can create new, clean industries. You know, rather than you know um, putting all the emphasis on the fact that they're being made unemployed. Um, Let's look for ways that we can actually rehabilitate and create a new eco-community at Hazelwood. There need to be transitions for all those workers. Yeah. But they do, again, as we've said many times, it, it also annoys me. They seem to assume the state should pick up the cost of that while the government, while the companies that close move away with all the profits in their back kick. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, 
we we pick up the damage. And in fact, I think um, it's uh, it's been mentioned on this program a number of times that even though they do put up a deposit, well, I'm sure they would have at Kayserwood because it was so long ago, but they put up a deposit for the clean-up when they do go at mines and things, but the deposit never really matches the real cost of the clean-up. No. So whatever happens, the, the public purse ends up picking up hell of a lot of the Absolutely, yeah, the public end up subsidising um, yeah. basically the shareholders of the companies that benefit, yeah. Yep, and uh, another one I just thought it worth mentioning was the fact that Mark Latham got ousted by Fox News. Yes. Uh, he did make some dreadful comments, there's no question of that, I mean, we, not, none of which we'd agree with, no. but, but it seems to me... There's a touch of hypocrisy here, Mark. Uh, <laughs> yes, there might um, well be from Fox. Yeah. Um, it's quite ironic, really. I mean, this is this is the company, which is a subsidiary of Murdoch. It's a Murdoch-owned company. Yes. This is the mob that has Andrew Bolt, who complains all the time about free speech and the right to in- yes. the right to yes. the right to incite, the right to offend, the right to um, humiliate. Um, the right to um, do all that sort of thing, not insult. What's the other word they use? I mean, it's, it's offend, insult, 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 mm. insult, mm. insult. Uh, offend, insult, mm. and humiliate. Um, this is the company that stands by free speech, but he got sacked because of the free speech he exercised, in yeah. my opinion. Um, now, um, again, I wouldn't agree with a word he said, no. but if they want to maintain their own principles, surely they should support his right to say it. Well, exactly. Yeah. The Voltaire it's principle. One rule for one, one rule for the other, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it but is, that's, yes. um, that's, that's the Murdoch Press for you and Fox. And yeah. well, Interesting to see if Andrew Bolt has a column about that or <laughs> yeah, be a bit surprised. <laughs> it's good with at least Andrew Bolt's good because you look at the page and you know what he's saying. You read the headline, and there's no need to ever read on. You just yeah, exactly. You know, no, well, that's you know right. what it's all yeah, about. Exactly. Why exactly. bother? Yeah. Um, now, um, another one that's happened this week: BHP. Um, a number of um, their their employees, including some Australians, have been charged. Uh, with effectively with manslaughter over the um, over the the dreadful accident not accident the dreadful the dreadful Samarco Dam disaster in Brazil oh yes um, which killed nineteen people and destroyed so much of the environment absolutely um, and the char- they've been charged with um, qualified homicide and BHP's hiring the best lawyers in the world to get them out of it. They're now saying the cases should all be dropped because of all these technical grounds they're running on. It's disgusting. But they say uh, the dismissal petition is said to reflect BHP's firm legal view that the indictments presented last October lack any facts that would be sufficient to sustain a murder charge. And even if there is any level of evidence that sustains the claims, there is still nothing that has been presented that speaks to any level of intent to cause loss of life. It has been BHP's firm proposition from the outset that it would be effectively impossible to prove any level of intent in either the operational or individual conduct of Samarco or its management. Now, we've read out at the time uh, reports that two or three years ago uh, there were government reports over there that said the whole thing was dangerous and needed all this work done. Yeah. And was, this was an accident waiting to happen uh, unless they spent money to repair all sorts of problems that were occurring. Mm. Now, if in that they didn't act on that report, I would have thought that in itself would indicate um, intent in many ways. I mean, they mightn't have intended to kill anybody, but by doing nothing about it, they did. Yeah. And that surely comes down to manslaughter, at yeah. least, uh, I would yeah. have thought. 
Uh, I thought but, so too. But no, they uh, they they've got they're, they're fighting it legally very strongly. And this is the thing, of course, they can afford the best lawyers in the world, you know, so they have that advantage. Right yes, they've the actually start. got a bloke a bit embarrassing about his name. His name's Jeff Healy, but uh, he joined BHP from from Freehills in 2013. Freehills, of course, is their most conservative company in Australia, mm. which you know from which Michaela Cash came and mm. uh, Greg Graham Watson, the recent bloke has been attacking wages and says they must be lowered. Um, Healy was regarded as one of Australia's most expert litigators, arrived as chief legal counsel. You pointed at the time this all blew up, so obviously they've got him in to do a job. And it was Healy who most openly eliminated the anger felt around uh, right around the global Australian's world at the decision by Brazil's Federal Prosecutor's Office to initiate the homicide charges on the eve of the first anniversary of a disaster triggered by the collapse, etc., um, now, you know, he's virtually saying, isn't it terrible beat that somehow they're not, they're not showing sympathy for the people affected by charging us at the anniversary of when we did this? Uh, that doesn't seem to me to be great grounds for uh, getting out of a charge. Speaking of the way the world is at the moment, there's, there's an editorial in the Financial Review in which they talked about... Um, um, neoliberalism, but they they were attacking Sally McPherson, the uh, the Sally McManus, the new oh, secretary yes. of the of the ACTU. And I'll I'll do the full one next week because it's a classic editorial. But they they talked about they said she she raises you know honest, you know stupid things like neoliberalism as if neoliberalism doesn't actually exist. They were and yet they are the biggest you know. The biggest supporter of neoliberal yeah. economics you'd ever run across. Yeah. Yet they're, they're saying if you raise things like neoliberal, you're really showing how shallow you are. Is that what they're doing now? Is it that's they're right, using the denial right. yeah. techniques? There was some techniques they said some some arcane thing, and I thought it wasn't really arcane. It was very real, like workers suffering low wages and all that sort of stuff. Okay, look, I'll stop being shallow, and I'll, I'll be I'll be we'll go in depth then in depth into the energy situation. And uh, again, this week, well, we're going to raise with John the question of, of infrastructure because mm. there's all sorts of bodies screaming about the fact that government has to keep out of all this because the federal government's talking about putting up an infrastructure fund into the federal budget, which would um, loan companies, etc. And they're saying, no, there's plenty of private finance around and this isn't the role of government at all. We just need good infrastructure. And by good infrastructure, they will raise this with John, they mean infrastructure that makes money. So if it doesn't, like a tram line or a train line or something, then it's not good infrastructure. But on a similar note, uh, Jennifer Westacott, the head of the Business Council of Australia, uh, came out um, attacking the states about their energy policy, which is not surprising because they keep doing it. But she's quite concerned because the South Australian government has talked about uh, uh, its own gas-fired power plant, which will run itself, and you had the Snowy River stuff from Turnbull. Mm. And she says um, this is a real worry for the privates. Oh, yeah, because they're... They, well, she's... I'll quote her. She's, she said the pre-prioritised energy package was a broadly sensible but years of political uncertainty was at the root of energy investment crisis. This is a mess of our own making. What we have to be careful of is that we don't end up with a situation where governments are, are taking over the energy market. This is this has still got to have strong private enterprise making investments and running the retail sector. So she's upset about government taking over the energy market. Uh, 
which is about 20 years or so after the private sector took over the energy market from government. Mm. Uh, but now they're virtually saying government has no role in this at all. It's just, uh, it's just ironic, isn't it? The way, the way they try to sell privatisation as a way of improving the quality of life and bringing prices down. And it, this is a prime example, I think, of exactly why privatisation uh, does not necessarily lead to a better outcome. No, and in to fact, put it mildly. In fact, the, the people complaining about infrastructure, etc., one of their biggest complaints also is uh, that they're blaming government, the federal government, for not giving incentives for the state government to privatise its assets. And mm. that this has been a real problem uh, because they, they say that's, that's uh, preventing reform in the economy. Reform to them is them getting their hands on anything that moves in state government control that yes. makes a neat little quid. Yes. Uh, if it doesn't make a neat little quid, you don't actually want it. But, no, uh, no, 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 no. Definitely but, not. Uh, but that's their argument. And that, so reform for them is taking over and the federal government's failing because it, it, it is it stopped giving incentives for the state government to flog off its enterprises. Not that there's not too many left. Well, that's right. It's going to come a time. Keep thinking what they talk to flog off. I mean, what what do we do then? They argue that water's never been privatised and it's been corporatised. But if you think about the the desal plant and we're spending billions per year for water we haven't even got yet, Mm. we don't get it, and the whole plant's run down and broken down already. But if if we're going to pay massive amounts of money to get water from that, I I can't see why that isn't some form of privatisation, uh, Mark and Andy. Maybe I'm wrong. Can you? Can you? Ah, that's a very good point. Yeah, yes. very good point, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But it's not privatised. No, 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 definitely not. No, no don't no. don't even go there. No, no. Well, I won't. No, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, did I? No, you didn't. <laughs> and I'm very proud of you. No. For that. Now, Jennifer's come out again, by the way. She's just a good old Jennifer. Oh, Westcott. good. Yes, yes. She says that uh, a two-tier tax rate's a risk. This is the fact that they've only got tax cuts up to a certain amount. Um, but, um, the, um, but, but she says that this means that really it, it's impossible to have a two-tier system. It just makes it more difficult for business. There's more red tape. It, you know, it's just... It's so costly to try and organise all this, and what they so this is going to force them to keep having to fight for lower taxes for all business um, across the board. Now, as if we thought they, you know, I, I imagine once they got the fifty million, they'd stop campaigning. But <laughs> Jennifer says now this this is going to force them to keep campaigning even more strongly because <laughs> it's raised all these extra costs for the poor dears. So oh. don't you have to bleed for them? I do bleed for them. Oh. I do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. tough life for them. On that same vein, uh, in fact, um, there were there was on the same day in the again in the the famous Financial Review, um, there was a headline. Um, uh, the, the 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 editorial headline was "Without tax cuts, there's no plan." Well, don't bother to read on there. Um, and um, there's a feature article by a bloke called Jack Mintz which is not a bad name for a bloke, <laughs> a capitalist. Anyway, um, anyway, the old mint, uh, Mintz is President Fellow at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy and previous Chair of the Technical Committee of Business Taxation in Canada. They would have been fighting hard for higher taxes, wouldn't they, the old business taxation oh. mob in Canada. Anyway, Jack says again, I'll just read the headline, you don't need, again, no. Australia, Australia, you cannot afford not to cut company tax rates. <laughs> uh, that's all in the same day. So there's obviously a without. We obviously need it. 
We obviously do. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's written in the paper, so it's got yeah, to be true. And yeah. there's absolutely no agenda behind that headline at all whatsoever. None at all. And they all, they all pay it, of course. The um, Credit Suisse, um, has, there's been a, there's been a whistleblower has uh, said uh, some stuff to uh, to a Dutch to the Dutch government, and then a number of other governments, including Australia, have been researching. As this is a bit like the uh, the papers that came out last year. Those other what were they were kind of what they were called now? Those papers that exposed all the tax stuff, and uh, well, Panama Papers they were called, weren't they? Oh yes, and. Yes. Um, and this one's not dissimilar, but the headline again is Credit Suisse tax probe hits a thousand locals. So it's at least a thousand. And it, added, it was 300 the day before, a thousand by the next day. So it's growing by the day, I suspect. Uh, this was yesterday, a thousand. I haven't seen this morning's paper, but I might have been up to two or three grand by now. But these are people who have bank accounts in Switzerland with Credit Suisse who. Um, who uh, it seems may be using it to avoid tax, and because many no. of them, many of the accounts just have an address and no, not even the name of the person who's uh, involved. Uh, <laughs> but not that they'd be doing anything wrong. The Swiss government's very upset about it, by the way, the fact that it got leaked. But oh, I'm sure they yeah. are. Because uh, and Credit Suisse says it, it certainly insists all its clients pay all the tax they have to pay. So <laughs> uh, that's good news. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. So there you are. Um, Cheerful stuff. Yeah. Now, another article. This is an interesting one. A bloke called Robert J. Schiller, who's a Nobel laureate in economics. He's professor of economics at Yale. And he wrote an article. I looked at the date. I thought, that isn't April 1, is it? No, it's March 30. An article in which says, shouldn't robots have to pay tax like everyone else? And he's he's actually saying that um, because of the way they put people out of work, etc., his argument is because it creates so much unemployment of that course, people yeah. who use robots should have to pay some sort of tax on yeah, the robot. Of course, of course. Um, well, that makes sense. Yeah. But, of course, I mean, and we can always argue, well, shouldn't they pay tax? But also in terms of the economy flowing with workers' wages, mm. Exactly what do robots buy um, yeah. after they've done the work and yeah. obviously you, have been recompensed for it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. But obviously, I mean, as as businesses become more automated and they use more robots, they're going to employ fewer employees and they're going to make bigger profits as a result. So those companies, rather than the robots, the companies themselves will need to be taxed more. So that tax money can then be used to employ people to do other jobs like mitigating climate change and all the other important roles that we need in clean energy, investing in new innovative technologies and ways forward. So, yeah, it's absolutely essential that we, we actually create new employment from the taxes, from companies, as they get more profit from increased automation. Yeah, and in fact, he, he even argues, he's, he's, he, he, he poo-poos the argument that, um, that you know, which the other, a lot of, Conservative economists argue that even though people go out of work, the, the other jobs will be created, that old argument, and there'll be other jobs, and you'll always have a job. He says that won't happen, and it would be natural to consider a more progressive income tax and a basic income for everyone. But with these me- but these measures do not have widespread popular support. So, you know, well, I wonder why. Yeah. But um, he's really so. It's interesting. I, I thought it might have been an April Fool's joke at the start, but he's serious. And uh, and in that to that degree, it's it's good to see at least people arguing that point because we've been making that point for some that's, time. That's right. Yeah. If we have a basic wage and we create new jobs through um, increasing taxes to companies, and yeah, there's there's, there's so much potential. Mm. Well, if robots and automation, which we were arguing years ago, would happen, but of course it hasn't, thanks to capitalism. 
but and it can't happen under capitalism. But but they could mean we have a society where people have to do very little work of, of traditional type under capitalism, uh, working for a boss. Yeah. When you, you're free then to do other things you want to do yourself, work that we might consider real work in our lives that we enjoy doing, yeah. which isn't Perish paid work thoughts. as such, and yeah, all that sort of thing. Perish the um, but, um, <laughs> but of course, we're not, that's not allowed to happen because no. um, capitalism demands that it can't happen. Well, exactly. It? I remember many years ago people saying to me that in the future, as a result of technology and automation, there'll be so much more free time. Leisure, course, leisure, leisure, leisure. But of course, as you say, that they don't allow that to happen. Now no. they're complaining that on the leisure days, some people want to get paid extra for working on those days. and that's, uh, <laughs> No right to. That's, no right to, no that's right. right. But there's no reason why we couldn't create a society where we have a three-day, four-day work, working week is in terms of paid work. Yes, yeah, so a capitalist working week. Well, we, we say we wouldn't be capitalist at the time. but uh, Yeah, well, like, well a, no. no a, a productive yeah. working week for, the, for producing what society needs. Exactly. Yeah. And then away you go. And of course, it, it could be in a society where you you're much everything's produced much closer to where it's used, and you're not not using so many food miles and all those oh, things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for yeah. all, not food miles, not just food miles, but goods miles altogether. Well, the problem is, Kevin, we're in this really bad capitalist paradigm at the moment, which really? is somewhat restricting us. Just in case you didn't know, <laughs> no, Andy, Andy you know. knew he nodded, but I <laughs> it came with like a bolt from the blue. No, to me. well, it's, I thought it was time. I told <laughs> yeah. you, I thought it was time. I broke yeah, the news to you. I'm shocked. I know. I'm sorry. I'm glad you sat down. Have a sip of tea over yeah. that one. There we are. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, while well, these thousands are, are avoiding tax and saying I have to pay a lot less tax for the rich. A third of Australians now spend more than they earn, relying on credit cards, personal savings and even the generosity of friends and family to get by each month and it goes on with all sorts of details. But again, that's the other end of the scale, of course, in, in what we've just been talking about. Well, we have a huge, a huge debt problem in this country. It's just out of control. I think there's a trillion dollars of private debt in this country. Yeah. Um, we, have a, we have a culture that makes us fear public debt. Mm. But encourages private debt, yep. and, and that's just yeah. And the capitalists talk about the public debt, the need to slash welfare, etc., to yep. get get it down. And but of course, then they encourage private yeah, debt by and cutting interest rates. In government, in government, there's absolutely no economic argument for why you need a surplus at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Governments exactly. need to borrow and pay. Uh, exactly. You know, again, infrastructure was always funded before neoliberalism. Yeah. By long-term, right. low-interest low bo- borrowing by government, mm. spread over the generations who'd benefit from the, mm. um, from the infrastructure. Mm. Now they say, exactly. oh, future generations have to pay for our debt. But in fact, that's what always happened. Yes. And it was, it, was, it was actually egalitarian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, of course, and good to know, Michaela Cash last week, good old Michaela, um, our Minister for um, Bashing Up the Workers, she... she um, she says that the, the, the most people on minimum, which well, she doesn't say most, but she says people in minimum wage are in high-income households. And when oh. she was asked to give the figure, she couldn't quite elaborate. In fact, I thought at that stage, if she's a lawyer at Freehills, I'd hate her to represent me because she couldn't think of an answer. You wouldn't want to represent um, you, would you? No, you wouldn't. You, all those low-paid workers, in fact, are, are as rich as. Oh. I have to push the dollars aside when I walk in the door at home <laughs> just to get in. Uh, You'll be pleased to know that the, the ACTU last week, as I think everyone now knows went for a $45 a week increase uh, in the minimum wage. Um, and um, I guess you could argue that's probably an ambit claim in some ways, but nonetheless, you know, it's not unreal either. Uh, in fact, in fact, if you argue, if you argued 
absolutely, of course, then workers should get back everything they're money they're worth, but then the boss wouldn't make a cent because uh, they only make money out of labor, workers' labour anyway. Uh, but the government's submission says excessive increases in minimum wages are likely to reduce employment in award-reliant industries, particularly for youth, and especially when wages growth elsewhere in the economy remains moderate and inflation is low. So that's a very good submission from the government, isn't it? <laughs> yes. 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 So we can't um, we can't afford to raise the low the rate because I always say when they say low rates are a, a real problem I, as we keep saying it we can't see the problem um, can you see the, I mean there's a simple well, answer to, if, if wages are too low Andy can you see the problem the answer to that I don't know well, apparently <laughs> so I would, I get the increased answer to, wages yes that's very good yes <laughs> just put the them up of my hand, you know? <laughs> just but, put them up but kevin 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 you've forgotten something here which yeah, is really really crucial yeah. that apparently these company tax cuts that the government are introducing will allow wages to increase oh they will they yes that's right yes yeah, so right. we don't nothing to worry, worry about they'll no, just no, increase no, naturally no, no. Um, in fact if they the could get the full weight the full tax cut they want then well, jobs would be everywhere because they wouldn't. They wouldn't just take it as profit and put no, it no, in no, no, no. It will, it will trickle down. Trickle it down. It will trickle down really, really quickly. Little drops of yellow liquid all <laughs> over this. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yes. That's right. <laughs> oh yes, there's no doubt about that. Um, and the on a on a positive side, by the way, um, there were more than 2,500 submissions to the town hall in response to the Lord Mayor's plan to crack down on homeless people in the city. And the council's still um, looking at the responses. But of that, 84% of the 2,500 opposed the changes and supported the homeless in the situations. That That's an encouraging figure. That's an encouraging yeah, figure, yeah. I hate to do that on city limits, but it's... Um, no, no, we can be encouraging from time to yeah, time. Yeah, I suppose so, I suppose. It's, um, it's one of those rare moments Look, John, that we need to treasure. Uh, I don't know if John's rung in yet, but um, if he hasn't, we'll, we'll take a break anyway and we'll we'll go to him in one form or other. We'll ring him or he'll ring us. We'll yep. sort this one let's out. Let's see what okay. happens. Yeah, let's see what happens. Okay, John McPherson is on the line. Okay, John, look, we were talking earlier about this yeah. infrastructure situation um, where you've got big business saying that government has no right, all they've got to do is make it more available to them, make state assets available to them, uh, and they want to get involved in what they call commercial infrastructure. But uh, yep. much of the infrastructure that we really need in society would they might consider to be non-commercial, wouldn't they? Is well, yeah, they wouldn't be interested. They're not really interested in doing a lot of it. Um, <laughs> and they're not, not really interested in doing a lot of the stuff properly. I mean, public transport's a classic. If they got a contract, they might be interested in running the peak hour services, you know, the ones that are really busy. Mm. But they wouldn't be so interested in running the ones late at night, which might, mightn't carry that many passengers. But but the late night services are very important for making sure you actually have a, a network, you know, that you actually can use at all times. That's the sort of that's the sort of problem you have with the commercial operators. They don't like to do things thoroughly. No, and I suppose mm. you've got other things like schools and, well, they can turn hospitals into, into money-making machines, but things yeah. like schools, et cetera, that society needs, there's probably, unless you give it, let them build it and then charge charge you to actually run a school, yeah. Um, yeah. then clearly there's not a lot of profit in that. So they'd say, well, spending money on schools and public transport is a complete waste, they would, I'm presuming, under well, their there's, terms. There's this sort of school now that's big time in America, the charter charter school network. They're... Um, they seem to be a, a strange hybrid between private and public. That's right. Where, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And the new secretary think, is, um, is, is from that school. That's right, yeah. She's, um, I, I don't know whether she's directly got her billions from the, that sort of system, but she's certainly very keen on, on that sort of, sort of system. But um, any, any studies that have been done on the actual outcomes for, for students from those schools is, is, has not been exactly favourable. Um, you know, it's the old, old thing, you need committed, you need committed people. But um, also, you know, I would have... cooperate in a decently uh, funded environment. I think you'd have to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have also thought that if developers are forced to to pay for more infrastructure, they're going to pass that cost on in terms of prices, in terms of the um, the housing yep. development, and all of that kind of thing. Oh, so. sure. Well, that 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 seems to be the big problem, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Um, where you get the um, the developers want to build a new suburb on the outskirts of Melbourne, but but then, but then um, people say yes. But shouldn't you guys be also um, supplying the infrastructure that go with it? And they say, oh no, but that would mean the cost of every house block would go up, and so we can't possibly do that. Um, but really, what it does is transfer the the, the, the the transport costs to the to the individual, you know, to the family who's bought the the block. Exactly. Who yeah. then find themselves having to run a, run a fleet of cars to to give themselves mobility, um, which right. is just you know. It's just crazy um, in so many ways, in a you know, in a big city, and um, you know, in a, our our sort of world, where the you know we've got to worry about carbon, those sort of things. Well, we have bad. a we have a catastrophe, in my opinion, that's sort of unraveling on our yeah. doorstep. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, I think you're right. The Age on March the thirtieth, the Age headline on on their online paper. I don't know on their actual hard copy, but it's certainly online. Uh, the headline being Melbourne's North booms, but the roads and rail that people need fail to keep up. And, yeah. and this is a, a, a huge problem that they're they're not keeping up with the infrastructure needs, and they're they're playing this constant game of catch up, and there's just not enough money to go around. Yep. Even so-called progressive developments like the new Wallet development, which is being touted as this kind of mm. you know. 21st century development, um, most of that is still car-dependent suburbia. There's a, a, a token amount of medium density. Yep. And none of, it sure takes, none of it takes in the, the economic, the environmental impact on the land you're taking over to build that. Well, um, that's right. And that's, that's a further cost that isn't taken into account. And, and, and you were talking earlier about food miles, about how we need to sort of um, reduce our food miles and have food grown as close to possible as our communities. But we're building on the food belt around Melbourne. Mm. We're, so yeah. we're, we're also not only are we increasing our, our carbon footprint through increased car dependency, but we're also increasing our carbon footprint through the increased food miles that results from building on the food belt. And of course, things like the uh, you know the cyclone in the north has um, has wrecked the the uh, vegetable crops around Bowen. That's fifth, apparently that's fifteen percent of Australia's vegetable crops are grown there. I mean, I mean, I mean, okay, that's apparently it's an efficient place to grow winter vegetables. But look at the food miles. Yeah, to get to either Sydney or Melbourne from That's there. That's right, exactly. Incredible. I mean, incredible food miles, really. Mm. It, is, know, is it is. That, it is incredible. Is that clever? People make the argument that we should build higher densities closer to yeah. the CBD, but then we have a yeah. problem there as well. I mean, on the ABC well, website, we had the headline, <laughs> Leaking Buildings, Mould and Court Battles, the Dark Side of the Apartment Boom. We don't seem to be able to do in, in between. We can do high-rise because we can imagine a skyscraper like New York. Yeah. Or we can do... Um, out of suburbia because everybody wants a quarter-acre block, but yeah. we don't seem to be able to do in between. No, that's right. and that's... I don't know what it is, but there's something about the psyche of the people who make decisions. 
I don't think it's even the psyche of ordinary Australians. I think it's the psyche of the, the planet that somehow makes them, you know, immune to being able to do medium density. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and the government recently introduced a new plan for Melbourne. That's about the 25th century, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yet another. John, I know in football season we have to take sides. If there's a game on, you've got to barrack for one or the other. Uh, yeah. Big game out on the road at the moment. Um, who are you barracking for, Transurban or Lindsay Fox? It's a, it's a tough choice, isn't it? <laughs> it's a tough choice, Kevin. I, I don't think I'd like to sit down really with either of them. Thank you. <laughs> right. Uh, can I go and have a pie down at the industry station? Have, have, yeah, have a, have a beer. Um, oh. John, the, um, but this one is, is interesting. Because I, 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 there's a sense I think of double dipping here somewhere. I know we talked about this house between ourselves yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure Transurban got some sort of concession in terms of this road that's being built anyway. But they're also yeah. now charging truckies extra. Yeah. And I don't bleed for Blinchy Fox, but they're charging no. them extra for works that won't be completed for another couple of years. Um, but uh, I, I suspect they're getting it off the government and off the um, the users. Well, yeah, but the whole thing, the whole um, process is so um, opaque, Kevin. That I don't, I don't think anybody can really comment sensibly. No, no. On, on except probably. Was that something. a reflection on my comment, John? Oh, <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> right, just wondered. I think. I mean, maybe somebody inside Transurban who's who's gotten. Mm you know, a model of what this all means and, you know, who's getting what. But I don't I don't believe there's anybody in the government who's got any idea really what 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 you know, what this means in terms of um you know, cash inflows and outflows and um, so on and so forth. I think I think I think government is being led led by the nose by Transurban. Um and Transurban has has said, I think, that their aspiration is to be the the transport planning authority for for the big cities of Australia, you know. And that's, in effect, pretty much where they've got themselves. Well, ever since um, this was first built under, or first the contract was first signed under Kennett and um, Stockdale, uh, one imagines that every time Transurban walks away from meeting with government must be rubbing its hands and laughing itself stupid. I think so. Yeah, yeah. The the, the, must, the, the struggle must be to require to keep a straight quiet, face, <laughs> quiet, and submissive, and not you know not not sort of laugh in the face. Yeah, it's it's sort of. Well, I mean, I suppose something like transurban. You know how state governments claim they're they're really inhibited. They can't borrow money for this. They can't borrow money for that. None of those sort of things seem to apply to private entities. You know, they can they can borrow money come hell or high water. So governments sort of put themselves in the corner and say, no, we can't, we can't do this, we can't do that. And indeed, and, government can, be, can buy, um, yeah. borrow at something like 2% less than the yeah, private sector, yeah, in fact. Yeah, yeah. but we've got to, the governments have got themselves into, into that mindset, and so have all the politicians, you know, that, 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 that they can't borrow this because you can't be seen to be raising the debt, you know, the... Um, the debt of the uh, state government, or even the federal government, mm. for that matter. Um, and yet, once upon a time, it was a proud boast. I think it was a Henry Bolt. He was proud of the amount of money he'd borrowed to make Victoria great again. You know, yeah, we had a thirty-six percent debt ratio under Henry Bolt, and uh, yeah, yeah, and that was okay because yeah. you know that was 
that was Henry Baldy, and the money was being spent on things like Hazelwood Power Station. Yeah. yeah. When you when you have such a rapid rate of population growth as we are having right. in Australia at the moment, especially focused on Melbourne and Sydney, uh-huh. um, yeah. setting aside the fact that it's probably too fast, but we won't go there now. But you you yeah. really have to have a big budget for infrastructure, and the infrastructure has to come in first. It has to yeah. be there. Because if you don't put the public transport infrastructure in before the development, the development is yep. not going to be built around public transport. Uh, it's yep. it, it, it's a huge problem. And this is a big problem we're seeing. We're constantly playing catch-up in terms yeah. of infrastructure. Yeah. And so yeah. we get really yeah. bad planning outcomes because yeah. of that. And, and we, this is going to leave a legacy for future generations. Right. We've got this culture at the moment where we're focusing all our attention on a clean energy future, which is very important. You know, I'm not... Not saying yeah. we shouldn't be pushing solar, but if we're doing that and distracting ourselves from the fact that we're creating a culture of car dependency, we're missing a big picture issue here. Yep. Well, well all of all of that I can only endorse, Mark. You t- yeah. You're totally right. But it, and it's been going. You know, that it's been going like this for thirty or forty years. Yeah. It's it's not it's not even it's not a new thing. I mean, uh, nothing was done to the rail system in, in Melbourne for for you know the suburban rail system for a huge period. I think it was, mm. you know, it was a huge period, the last rail extension until uh, South Morang was something like, uh, you know, back in the 1930s, the uh, yeah. Glen Waverley. It's it's a culture that's been going on a long time, as you say. The problem is it's so much more amplified now because of the the rapid rate of population growth. So it's just getting more. Well, now we're discovering that, you know, the, okay, the rail lines exist, but there's not enough enough lines, you know, so that you can't run out of suburban trains to the city, even, you know, even just servicing the city. Mm. You can't run, uh, in peak hour, you can't run sort of express trains from the outer suburbs because there isn't enough track capacity. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, they've taught, I noticed in the last couple of days they've announced they're going to build a new holding yard at... Um, well, beyond Pakenham out there, but to put yeah, a Pakenham yeah, line. Um, yeah, and yeah. Um, but I suppose that will make no difference if you don't increase the capacity of the lines once the trains are on them. Well, that'll be, that'll, that'll be to um, service the new high-capacity trains they're building. You know, they are going to start running longer trains on that line, and they're the ones that are going to go through the Melbourne metro and then out the other side to Sunbury. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. And will they be for Pakenham and Cranbourne? And- uh, I think they, I think the intention is it will be in the end it will be Cranbourne as well. Yeah, yeah. but of course don't forget Cranbourne's still only a single track. Mm. Yeah, right. You know, you, you know, you, you, when you start looking at there are so many deficiencies, you know, and and just describing what following on from what Mark was saying about extensions, you know, Cranbourne is now surging to the south of Cranbourne, you know, further down the, the South Gippsland Highway. Mm. And there's, there is a railway reservation that's, you know, that keeps going. But but when, when, when asked, the PTV says, oh, we won't be building that extension for 20 years. And yet it's a very straightforward extension that might be five or ten kilometres long yeah. following a pre-existing railway route. And they can't even they can't even consider that for twenty years. You know, you, then you think to yourself, well, there just isn't enough money being spent, as Mark says. Yeah, and it's and, the opposite to Perth, of course, where they in fact the yeah. railway line, if, if if development occurs, the railway line goes in first. Or yeah. goes, it certainly goes with it parallel. Yeah, it? yeah, goes, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, a, a much smaller city is in the process. They've started building the the line to their airport. 
Yeah. That, that started building. Yeah, uh, that's right. And, uh, you know, all of those sort of things. And yet there's, oh, it, it just goes on. The um, So here, here we seem to build a series of, um, of prestige projects like Melbourne Metro. I, you know me, I question Melbourne Metro's mm. um, need um, emphatically, but um, I've, I've been overruled on all fronts on that one. I think you make a good point on that issue, though, John. I'm well, glad, you, a, glad you yeah, put it well, out there. Yeah, well, it's it's um, again, you see, it's 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 nine or ten, ten or eleven billion dollars who can't be spent elsewhere in the system. Exactly. You know, you've got to remember there's always a, an opportunity cost when you build something like that that looks so it's so incredibly expensive. You have to ask yourself where could that money have been spent on doing a whole lot of smaller, I reckon, more useful projects across the across the system. And you, you always know, feel happen. you always feel good, of course, when you make a good point and watch the opposite happen. Um. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right, Kevin. We've been we've been there often, haven't we? Yeah. Well, on, on, on transport planning. Well, yeah. actually, I was. We were driving down the Eastern Freeway yesterday. I went to right. lunch. I went to lunch out at out at North Baldwin and um, I made the point because as you, as you know John we were heavily involved in trying to stop it back in the 70s yep. Yep. Um, but I made the point that if, if what had been set aside originally as a railway reserve had yeah. been a railway line then the whole yeah. traffic pattern of that corridor would have been so different yeah. but then yeah. we were yeah. talking somehow a conversation got on to our wins and losses in the, all these issues and we couldn't think of one beyond the upfield line so uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lifetime of disaster oh, well. in there somewhere <laughs> no, I I think we fought a good regard action, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah field line no, is a good win, though. I we, mean, that, don't keep, underestimate we that. We keep fighting, right. but yeah, that's right. Yeah, upfield, but, upfield, upfield is going to be very necessary as part of the Craggyburn um, right. corridor in the future. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. brace yourself, Kevin. You're going to have trains, yeah. far more trains roaring past your door. Winning that, <laughs> winning right. that ruined my 100% record. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, the, also just on that one, though, about the tolls, buses yeah. are also complaining. Now, this might be more serious. Is it if yes. buses feel bus private now again they're private bus companies maybe they should yes. be public but yes. um, the private bus companies say they may have they may have trouble keeping their head above water if they have to pay these increased tolls. <laughs> is that is that likely to be a real problem? Not really. I, I just go back to government and say, oh, excuse me, our costs have gone up a bit. You'll have to raise the fares. Oh, oh, they've, okay. they've already said that. <laughs> well, <there you laughs> don't go. worry. Don't, the government did come don't, in. Don't, don't, don't worry about them. Oh, I'm, <laughs> sure all, I'm sure all the developers will oh, cover it by paying look, for look, the increased to, infrastructure. I, 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 this is, this is uh, off, the, off the topic a bit, uh, but only a bit. You know, the... Um, level crossing elimination things going on well camp road up on the upfield line up at the top of the upfield line mm. is one of the one of the roads that's going to be um you know turned into a um, a road over i think over the railway well, i forgot the railway's going down or anyhow the level crossing is going to go on camp road which is a good thing however in that area there is no station on on the upfield line there's a long gap and that long gap might have been justified back in back in the 1940s or something like that. But but now there's quite a lot of residential development in the area, but there is no intention on the, during the um, level crossing elimination to put in a station near Camp Road, mm. although quite a number of buses go past go past and would feed to a station. And there. it's single line up there too, isn't it? Yeah, it's single line. Yeah. Yeah, they are actually allowing for the second track, which is something. Twenty but years not or so, building, but they're not building the second track either. Mm. So you know, 
it's another example of um, very, very limited, you know, thinking. You know, it, 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 there are many other locations where they're rebuilding the railway, the, the, the stations, when they're rebuilding the level crossing or eliminating level, level cross, crossing, but it's not happening at um, Camp Road. There doesn't seem any reason why a new station couldn't be built there and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be successful. Mm. But it's not happening because it's just out, outside their, uh, their very narrow focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John, before we go, well, it's 51, yeah. we better move on, but the other, sure. other issue, I guess, this month that has made the news is the, yeah. the sharp rise in injuries on trams, um, serious injuries on trams. Yeah. Um, or yeah. not actually on trams necessarily. A lot of them are pedestrians being hit and that sort of thing, which seems to me to be a problem with the pedestrians rather than the trams. But... Um, well, yeah, that's that's true. Um, the um, I guess I mean I, I, I've sometimes commented that the new trams aren't, aren't as visible. I, I, I worry that trams merge into the traffic that their their colour scheme is not assertive enough. That I liked the tra- liked it when the trams are all bright orange. I thought that that made them stand out and that that was really worthwhile because it made it easier for. Um, for, for customers to see the tram coming in the traffic and things like that, mm. uh, but the, the latest trams, the really real biggies, do have lots of um, fancy LED lights up and down the, the front of them as well as the back, uh, which should make them a little more visible. Uh, but uh, whether I don't know, I think possibly the the pedestrian thing is probably to do with the pedestrians staring at their iPhones. Indeed, uh, Transport Safety Victoria made that point. It said distracted pedestrians straying into the path of trams were an increasing problem and the rise of smartphone zombies doesn't show any sign of slowing. Well, Um, I think I I agree with them at that point. I watched something the other day, uh, you know, mooch across a a side street off Smith Street and, uh, you know, at no point did he raise his eyes even momentarily from his from his gadget, you know, mm. to see whether there was any traffic within Cooley. I mean, I, I don't know whether he was relying on hearing it or or what, but you know, it was. I, I was astonished at how how we're completely um, insouciant this this guy yeah. was. Yeah, they're creating uh, new level crossings now, aren't they? Where the um, the stop and start. Yeah, signs well, that's, are on that's the right. Well, they got to. They're going to experiment with little flashing lights in the in the pavement. Yeah, well, mm. there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of um, intersections to fix up there. Well, that's there? right. I mean, if mm. you have a few, it could end up being more dangerous because people will get used to it with those few, and then they'll expect it with others, and they won't be there, and you could potentially have that's more right. accidents. Yeah. So you've got to kind of roll yeah. it out across the board, yeah. don't you? Yeah. John, on 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 the tram itself, though, yeah, it seems sure. most of the injuries are being caused. It's been suggested a lot of the problem is the the modern trams have fewer seats and more standing room, yep. and people standing are being thrown around, particularly if it, if it's forced to brake sharply as a car gets in its way or something. Well, that's certainly my that's certainly my suspicion. It's, it it is you know really quite hard to to hang on when they really throw the brakes on. You know, I, don't, I think a lot of people would wouldn't be able to even if they were holding on quite tightly, they wouldn't be able to necessarily hold on to the pole. You know. So, do you think this is a capacity issue then? That, that <clears throat> well, it's it's we've now got the sort of trams that they run in Europe, which yeah. which is less seats, more more standing room. I've but, noticed, but, yeah. But then the trams in Europe mostly run in um, uh, their own uh, 
preservation, you know. Yes. They're not, they're right. not battling cars. They're which more means, like light rail, aren't they? Yeah. They're more like light rail, which sort of means they don't have the issues maybe of of, of uh, having to suddenly avoid a car. Yes. So they're, they're far less likely to have to jam their brakes on. So well, we've got now got the we've now got the worst of both worlds. The, we've still got on street trams, but they're but they're the sort that should be in reservation. Yeah, mm. there, there were two hundred and eighty five um, slips, trips, right. and falls. This this is presumably serious injuries, right. um, and it's the highest in ten years. But it was a forty one percent increase on the previous year. That's pretty severe. Wow. That might co would that co coincide with those new trams coming on? Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess it would. Uh, uh, there, there have been low floor trams around for quite a while, but but these are these. Uh, yeah, it's a hard one to to yeah. to, to because even the previous it. trams had much much less seating room and more standing yes. room anyway. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Certainly the uh, yeah, certainly since the the B, the the last ones that were decent were the B class with you know. Before they started taking seats out, yeah, that was the. And they put down. I mean, it's it's not a bad thing, but they put down the uh, the fact that more people were standing because of the free zone. A lot of people getting on in the yeah. free zone around the city and travelling around mm. in trams, and so well, that's that, another factor. Well, that's that's it's true that there, apparently there was a real a real uh, a real boost of numbers on the city city trams. Mm. Yes, uh, uh, the guy from PTV was on was on fame this morning. Um, you know, they were just trying to justify the changes they're making to the tram frequencies on the northern routes. It was in the um, the age, I think, this morning or yesterday. Uh, um, lines like the 96 and the 86 and um, the east, um, east Brunswick? No, West Brunswick. Not sure. Yeah. So northern lines, anyhow, are having, having um, slight Changes, at least they appear to be slight changes made to the services, making them and less. He was or... arguing. He was arguing there's still going to be more trams per hour going going through, uh, but he said, "Well, yes, but they're going to be more evenly spaced." But it, it all became very garbled. Yeah, um, right. And mm. it, but it sounds like they're, they're they're finessing the number of trams because they're bringing on more of these big E class trams. I think they're trying to. Slice and dice the number of trams per yeah. hour on watch, some lines. Watch this very space spaced. Well, they're very. Uh, the thing is yeah. that these trams are very crowded. Or the, the existing trams are very crowded in the peaks, yeah. and even in, into the middle evenings, they're very crowded. Yet you know, they're talking about cutting back some frequencies from fifteen to twenty minutes. Mm. I mean, this is this is, seems ridiculous. It is ridiculous, yeah. especially when you consider... John, we're going to have to stop um, there, unfortunately. We're at it. Oh, go on. Go on. Go on. No, I was just going to say, just a quick point, that when you consider that one of the ideas is to try and increase densities along public transport lines, um, I just wonder how the infrastructure is going to cope, um, especially yeah, under the yeah. paradigm we've got now. Mm. So, well, so yeah. somebody else then, then said, well, perhaps there's a problem with having enough power supply for these huge trams. Well, it could be. But if, if that's the case, would they please tell us that's the case? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And okay, would they more... please tell us how they're going to fix it? More, right. of this, more of this next month. We'll cheer people up again. Um, <laughs> John, you're sounding like you you didn't come in because you were crook, and I think your voice proves it. You weren't. You didn't sound too. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit. Uh, 
Don't know what it is. We'll call it the Lurgy. All right. Okay. The, the old, the old uh, Spike Milligan Lurgy. We can do, the, we can do grump, though. We can do yeah. grumpy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, you weren't grumpy this morning. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. yeah. No. Cheers, cheers to you all. Cheers, yeah. Thanks, John. Thanks, thanks, John. For, thanks okay. for that. Thanks a lot. Speak to you soon. John McPherson, of course, our monthly commentator on transport issues, a former vice president of the Public Transport Users Association, and s- several times advised a government who ignored him totally or consulted <laughs> yeah. to. Anyway, that's it. And, and thank Andy. Thank you so much, Andy. Always a pleasure. Much no appreciated. Worries. Thank you. Take care, everyone.